You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Employee Safety Podcast. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today's episode features Diana Warden, Director of Safety and Security at the Dallas Zoo, which was named one of the nation's top 10 zoos by USA Today and is the largest zoological experience in Texas. It features a 106-acre park, thousands of animals, and an education department that offers programs for all ages. I really love this interview because Diana touches on so many elements of safety and security that pertain to her role. That includes things like protecting employees, guests, and animals, as well as the incredible amount of planning that goes into being open 364 days a year and welcoming more than a million guests annually. Diana also talks about some interesting and unique challenges she faces when working with wildlife and why the zoo's strong safety culture enables the success of her team. Let's dive in. Diana, your role sounds both incredibly fascinating and just a little bit intimidating. Do others have the same reaction when they learn about what you do? They do. People are always fascinated when they hear that you do safety at a zoo. You know, usually people ask you what you do for a living and you say, oh, I do employee-related safety. And they're like, oh, it's OSHA and all that stuff. And then you say, but it's at the Dallas Zoo. And suddenly it's like... (laughs) wait a minute, that's not anything I've ever thought about. So they ask a ton of questions, certainly about the animals. And then, you know, you you bring into all the other aspects of it, like the guest safety and the security side of it and the employee side of it and making sure people don't, you know, get too close to the lions and gorillas and stuff like that. So people are usually really fascinated about all the stories that you can tell. Well, let's talk more about that. What are some of the unique safety and security challenges that you face? We really operate, and you, you may not realize, we operate really a full functioning operation here. So I've got welders, carpenters, plumbers, electricians, animal staff, guest services, administration. So anything that you find in the typical general industry setting we have here at the Dallas Zoo. But then you add the dynamics of guest safety. We have over a million visitors a year and we have to make sure that they're safe while they're visiting the zoo. Everything from not tripping on a walkway as they're, you know, walking down a path or not being able to get too close to the animals to be able to put themselves at risk and or quite honestly, the animals at risk, the whole pie. Then you have the security side of it too. And how do we keep an urban zoo safe and secure, not only from the employee security, the guest security, quite honestly, the animal security, but then also to make sure that the neighborhood that we're in doesn't get impacted by our operations. So all of that comes into play with what I do and what I'm responsible for. And are you responsible for animal safety as well, just like human safety? Like, is is that a thing? It's part of it. Not necessarily from an animal welfare, because we have a a very solid animal welfare team and animal husbandry team here at the zoo that really manages that on the animal operations side, but it goes hand in hand. So when I'm talking about keeping the animals safe from the guests, I need to be able to make sure that the guests aren't able to get close enough to maybe feed the animals something that they shouldn't be eating or handing off the animals. We have a giraffe platform where guests can go and actually feed the giraffes. And we have to make sure that we tell the guests, hey, secure your sunglasses, secure your cell phones, because the (laughs) giraffes will reach out and take those things. (laughs) So from that aspect, yes, from a true animal operations and animal welfare, we've got a separate animal team that's responsible for that piece. Fantastic. 
how does the Dallas Zoo handle all the planning and training that goes into ensuring that your people, your guests, and the animals stay safe year-round? Sure. So we have a pretty extensive training program. I have developed a training program based on annual safety training classes, uh, every two-year safety classes, every three-year safety training classes, based on the job functions that people perform here. So based on what your job is, those are the classes that you're going to have to take. We do the same thing on the environmental side. I have an environmental manager that has safety training, or I'm sorry, environmental training classes for the environmental side of things that employees are responsible for taking based on their job functions. So we definitely do cater to the job that people are performing based on the classes that they're taking. But then we go above and beyond that with just general safety classes. So everybody has to take things like severe weather safety. And we focus not only on severe weather safety for employees, but also what are we going to do with the maybe 10,000 guests that we have in the park if a, if a tornado comes through that day? How are we going to manage them getting to safe places as well? So we focus a lot on that aspect with regards to our safety training classes to make sure that not only our employees are covered, but our guests are covered as well. And then on top of that, you throw in the animal dynamic. Hey, we've got to get the animals into a safe place too. So at what point are we going to stop and get them into safe places? So that's a, that is an always evolving, encompassing process to make sure that we're always on top of situational awareness with regards to what may be coming down the pipeline, because it's never the same from year to year. I mean, we had the snowmageddon last year mm. that we had to prepare for and be ready for. And what were the dynamics and things that we had to think about for that? Well, it's now changed our mindset to all of a sudden, if we have a potential for snow here, even if it's just for a day or two, are we going to have ride out teams? Are we are we going to bring in extra staff, extra generators, things like that? What do we need to plan to make sure that our guests, our employees, and our animal collection can stay safe during specific events? When you compare yourself to, let's just say, the average business out there that doesn't have animals running around doing things and doesn't have millions of visitors, do you have more emergency personnel that are just kind of sprinkled around the, the park that are there to step in and help when things go wrong? Yeah, we have specific trained staff members that are part of our employee response teams and we have we follow an incident command model for employee response or emergency response and so we have specific buckets if you will of personnel within that incident command model we have somebody and a team of people that are responsible for the logistics side of emergency response somebody that's responsible for the animal side somebody that's responsible for the safety and security side someone that's responsible for guest side of things so that in the event that we have a specific emergency we have all of our bases and essentially buckets covered to be able to make sure that the entire organization is safe and because you have living creatures there 24 by 7, do you have people working there just all the time? It's not a traditional 9 to 5 office job, right? It is not a traditional 9 to 5 <laughs> office job. So for more or less, I'm on call 24-7. Wow. And I have a 24-7 security team. So our animal staff and the majority of our staff leave zoo grounds around 6 p.m., 7 p.m. after the animals are all secured for the evening. And then security is on grounds. And so anytime they have an incident that happens after hours, I get a phone call. And then I can help troubleshoot whatever's going on with that incident. And it may very well be, okay, I'm calling in emergency teams at this point because it's significant enough. Or maybe I need to call Dallas police on grounds because whatever they're they're having or Dallas fire and rescue, depending on what they're having. But at that point, after hours, the security team that I have on grounds is definitely the first line of defense for anything that's going on. And they are all very well trained in what they may encounter and how to respond and handle it appropriately. With that much on the line, it seems like people would have to be pretty passionate about safety to want to work there. Is that a company value? Is that part of the culture at the Dallas Zoo? It is. It absolutely is. You know, I've worked in organizations before where 
you know, the safety person comes on site and it's quick, everybody shut down what you're doing so that they don't actually see what, what we're doing and how we're doing things. And it's just not like that here. People are bought in. And quite honestly, they were bought in before I started working here because mm-hmm. they know the critical nature of the operations. And, you know, they they don't want to get eaten by a lion and they don't <laughs> want to, you know, they don't want to let a lion out. And so they know that if they aren't following the specific protocols, that very drastic and significant things can happen, not only to them, but their coworkers. And quite honestly, these folks that work here are so passionate about the animals. They don't want anything to happen to the animals. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really cool about this organization is that that's not just the animal staff. That's, that's your facility staff. So your plumbers and your electricians, like they're passionate about it too. And so they know that it's important to go get this hydraulic door fixed so that these animals can have good welfare and move out to their habitats during the day and not be stuck in a barn. So they're passionate about it and they've bought into it too, which makes my job actually really, really great because I'm not an outcast. I'm part of the team mm. and people as a safety person, they want me to be in to see how they're doing things to help them to make sure that it is the best way possible to send everybody home safely at night. It seems like people understand the why behind it and that makes them get on board. And there's also a mindset that's necessary for it. Do you train for a mindset? Like here's an example. If you walk into something and say, this is something I have to do. It's mm-hmm. like, Ugh, I have to do it. If you say, this is something I get to do it's, oh, all of a sudden it's much more positive. So what's the mindset that you try to inculcate there? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good way to put it. It's framing it so that they have the buy-in and the want to, to do something versus the, I must, this is a job function. You know, and it, that really seems to be innate here because they want these animals to be healthy and they want these animals to have good welfare and to be able to succeed and, you know, to help support the cause of, of wildlife conservation and, and such in, in the world, to be quite honest with you. So that's not necessarily something that I have to ingrain into them to have the want. They, they somewhat already have that. But I think the biggest thing is making it fun for them and mm-hmm. not, for lack of a better word, not making it a beating, yeah. not coming in and saying, well, you have to do this because that's the only way that, that you're going to do the job. There's got to be a balance there. There, this is the way the rules state, and this is the way the regulations state, and this is the day-to-day that you need to get done. And, and we have to come together and find a balance there between the two of us to be able to compromise, to be able to safely get the job done to the best way possible. And once they see that you're willing to come in there and work with them versus mm. just dictating to them, then that want to becomes very much stronger versus, well, we're just doing this because Diana said we had to. Yeah, no, that's great. What about COVID? I, I know this is a story that's been beaten to death here over the, <laughs> the past two years, but I'm really curious. I mean, you were contending with your workers' safety, the mm-hmm. animal safety, mm-hmm. the visitor safety. Tell us more about what you guys did for COVID. COVID hit us significantly. Um, in Dallas County, we follow all, obviously, state guidelines, but then we also follow all Dallas County guidelines, and then we also follow the city of Dallas guidelines. The predominant agency tended to be Dallas County. So whatever Dallas County guided us to is what we did. So we did actually shut down operations completely in the beginning of the pandemic, which I have to be honest, our executive team really struggled with that. And it was almost a relief whenever the guidelines came down to shut down because you could tell that that's what they felt like was the right thing to do in the beginning. But it was hard to make that decision to close a business and to to close such an impactful business. And you could see almost the relief whenever the government agencies came in and said, we're going to close these operations because that was the right thing to do. But 
the decision was taken out of their hands. So we closed operations. And during that time period, it was essential personnel only. So it was really going in at that point once we did close and trying to figure out how our essential personnel could come in and still safely work and try to keep them safe and healthy as well. So we did a lot of work. We actually split teams. We had an A team and a B team because it's not as simple as if I have a whole team of gorilla keepers that goes out because they're sick from COVID, I can't just go to the temp agency down the street and say, send me 10 gorilla keepers because (laughs) that doesn't exist, right? So I have to ensure that I had backups. So for a very long time, we went to an A team and a B team situation with our animal staff and those two teams never intermixed so that we did always have a backup team in case one team went out. We eventually reopened. We reopened a guest. We followed all county guidelines. We followed all state guidelines and, and we followed all CDC guidelines. And sometimes that was a challenge because it wasn't the popular opinion, but it was the right thing to do. And that's what the, the regulating agencies were telling us to do. So as grumbly as some of the guests were about having to wear masks, we still required masks. Our staff still wore masks. You know, we still encouraged social distancing. We had limited capacities in the beginning for a while. Whenever we reopened, we went to a timed ticketing system. And so we really tried to maintain the safety at that point of not only our staff, our animals, but the guests as well, because we felt like that was our responsibility and our obligation to do. Then you throw in the animal dynamic. And when COVID first started, we all anticipated that it was going to be the primates that were going to be the most at risk, right? The Mm -hmm. humans, just like us. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I believe it was the Bronx Zoo that came down with their, their tigers that developed COVID first. And we all went back and said, oh, my goodness, we might have a problem here because it seemed to be the big cats that were developing COVID, which was never really on our radar screen. So suddenly we had to switch gears to say, "Okay, what are we going to do to keep our carnivores safe? Because we have lions and tigers, cheetahs. What are we going to do to keep our carnivores safe? And we probably need to take that extra step with our primates as well, just in case. So we went full N95 mask, full PPE gear, changing clothes, different shoes, you know, a a foot bath with a disinfectant that you had to to use going in and out of the building. The N95 mask was a battle because anybody that's going to go into the building when animals are present had to be fit tested, medically evaluated per the OSHA standard and wear that N95 mask at all times animals uh, were present in the building. And quite honestly, we're still in that protocol with those specific buildings. We're waiting on vaccines to come in for for the animals. And as soon as they're vaccinated, we may relax the N95 protocols. But until then, we're not willing to risk the safety of the animals for that. And we don't know. You don't know with COVID how that really works. Yeah. I can imagine that animals tend to get familiar with certain people and the way they look. And if they suddenly come in with all this gear on, does that like freak out the animals? Does that create a different dynamic? It did for some of them. Absolutely. For some of the chimpanzees and some of the gorillas that are are used to a visual representation of their staff. The good thing about it is, is that animals use all their senses much more than humans do. So Mm -hmm. sound, smell, which was obviously still very familiar. So they adapted pretty quickly to what we were doing and, and how we were doing it. It really hasn't impacted the welfare of the animals that much. Okay. Other than I think we've kept them healthier than what we may have. Oh, there you go. Yeah. A little bit of an upside. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said something earlier that really caught my interest and it's that idea of, I can't just call a local agency and say, send me 10 more gorilla keepers or, or something like that. So right, right. I don't think you guys can do everything on your own, especially when there's a large issue, like a hurricane or something like that. So does the zoo collaborate with any outside agencies or emergency services when things get kind of out of control to support your safety and security initiatives? And if so, 
how do you coordinate that? Because you got people coming in that may not be animal lovers. Yeah, that's a great question and a great point. First off, let me start off by saying that the AZA institution itself is fantastic in supporting member institutions. So as an AZA accredited facility, if we had a significant tornado come through, then we could draw on resources from other AZA institutions and say, we need help. We could raise a white flag and they would send staff, they would send equipment, they would send whatever needed to help maintain our facilities. In fact, we've sent staff members and equipment to other facilities whenever they raised the white flag and needed help. Mm. So that's one resource. The other side of that is we do have to work with local agencies, such as the Dallas Police Department, Dallas Fire and Rescue. If I have somebody, whether it's an employee or a guest, having a medical situation here on campus, I have to be able to contact Dallas Fire and Rescue and get them on grounds very quickly. And we are so fortunate. I have about a four to five minute response time from Dallas Fire and Rescue anytime we call them. We've got different perimeter gates. We give them a physical address for a physical gate to get them to, to the emergency fastest. And we have really drilled down on that emergency procedure to get them in quickly. We partner with DPD, the Dallas Police Department, pretty significantly. I have a, a police officer on grounds every single day as contracted from the city. And that's a great liaison resource for us. Yeah. If I'm having issues with something, say it's something in the neighborhood or uh, you know, a homeless population in the, in the area, then I can go to my liaison officer and say, what can I do about this? How can I, how can I help resolve this situation that I'm ongoing? And they can point me in the right direction. We coordinate with DPD and other agencies with regards to emergency response. At a zoo, you have to think about full-scale emergency response, which other organizations don't think of. If I have a dangerous animal get out, I'm in the middle of South Oak Cliff. Wow. And the last thing that we need is a tiger roaming the streets of South Oak Cliff. Yeah. <laughs> so that's definitely something that we plan and prepare for in an emergency situation is what if we do have a significant animal escape? Because we're going to put in a call to 911, we're going to manage it internally, but when, when the Dallas police team shows up, they're going to have a, a piece of the pie as well. And so we have to be able to make sure that we partner with them so that A, they're comfortable with what we're doing and they let us manage the situation, and B, we're comfortable with what they're doing as well because it has to be a partnership. If they just come in and take over, they don't know our operation. And quite honestly, they don't know those animals to be able to maybe successfully resolve that situation like we do. Yeah, that's what I was curious about. It's like, do you train with them and say, hey, I get it when you come in, it's scary to see a tiger there and your first instinct's gonna be just shoot and kill. But do you work with them to say, let's try not to do that if we don't have to? Absolutely. And you, you've all seen the media stories and you've all seen the big broadcasts of, of situations that have happened at zoos, but we absolutely do that. And we're fortunate that we have a good relationship with our local police team because they're comfortable with what our response is. And we have sent them what our emergency protocols are. So we have sent them to say, if we have a large dangerous animal escape, these are the specific steps we're going to take. And if we get to point A or point B, then it's beyond our control and we're going to let you take over. So we've come to an agreement to say, if we hit these two scenarios in an emergency situation with an animal escape, it's the police team's responsibility. And up until that point, they're going to let us manage the situation. And, and quite honestly, I don't mind sharing with you, those two scenarios are human life is at risk mm -hmm. and or the, the animal is going to breach a perimeter fence. As long as the animal is contained within our facility, somewhere on our property, and human life is not significantly at risk, then they're going to let us attempt to resolve that situation on our own, which is ideally gonna be through a, more than likely an immobilization, and then recovering that animal and putting it back where it's supposed to be. 
and then you know taking care of guests and, and anything like that if not then the dallas police team is going to say okay it's our turn we're going to step in but until that happens they're confident with our level of of response that's going to take place yeah for situation a where it's contained within your facility i can imagine a lot of the people that work there really love the animals and they may go a little too far to try to resolve a situation that starts getting dangerous. How do you bridge that gap to tell people, guys, sometimes you have to let go and let the, the police step in? I mean, I, I could see someone just going a little too far and trying to do something and get themselves hurt. You would think that, but when you're on the inside and you, you really see how these people understand the risk and the liability that they have, mm. that's not really a significant concern because they know the best thing for the animal is to be taken care of internally versus you know letting it get outside. So they're not going to do something that's going to put a themselves at risk or the animal at risk of flying outside of our perimeter or you know jumping a fence by spooking them. Got it. So that they can help safely recover the animal as well. I guess put another way, they're not going to do anything to spook the animal to make the situation worse. And we don't. I don't have a lot of you know renegade emergency resolvers here i mean we've got a specific protocol and they stick to it they i don't really have to go back and say yeah you did this and you really shouldn't have done that now we may have to go back and revise a process or a procedure but i don't know that i've ever had to in an emergency drill go back and coach anybody and say wow i don't know what you were thinking there but that was a really bad idea because yeah. they want to resolve this situation as peacefully as possible as well how much time do your people typically spend if you think about their average work year percentage-wise on just thinking about or training on safety? That's a great question. I would say maybe 40 to 50%, quite honestly. Wow. Yeah, they have a specific set of safety training classes that they're committed to every year annually. But there is so much that they do on just a day-to-day -day basis that safety has to be part of it. For instance, if we're if we have to move an animal from one area to the zoo to another area of the zoo, how are we going to safely do that? Are we doing that during the day when guests are here? And can we do that behind the scenes versus are we going to do that before or after hours? Are we bringing other animals into our organization from another organization? And how are we safely going to do that? So there's a whole lot of planning that goes into involved or that goes into to this that you may not expect just as a person going to the zoo to look at the animals. So it's a it's a pretty significant portion, I would say almost 40 to 50% because it is so ingrained in what they do all the time. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's great to hear. Yeah. What tends to surprise people about your job or what do they ask you about most often? It's definitely the emergencies and it's definitely around the animals. I think that's what everybody's pretty interested in as far as you know, what do you do in this situation? Or, or do you ever get to work closely with the gorillas? Or do you ever get to, to be around the animals? And I think what surprises people is that with these dangerous animals, we are 100% no contact. So there's always mm. a barrier in between the animal and the, the person working with the animal at that time, which really actually makes it that much more impressive what our zoologists are able to accomplish with these animals because they're not in there, you know, playing and cuddling and, and these are not domesticated animals. Yeah. So I think people get very fascinated learning about how that process works. And then certainly everybody wants to hear the emergency stories and how you plan for it and what you're going to do. And, you know, the drills, we try really hard with our drills to be fun because drills can get to be a beating for people mm -hmm. and they can get to be just routine and people stop participating. So we go that extra step and let's say 
we're going to do a drill where there's an elephant that escaped. Well, I'll dress up staff members as elephants. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'll, I'll just put them out in an area just randomly and someone has to discover them. And then I take it all the way from what did they do when they discovered this elephant out just in the public area of the park? Yeah. What's the specific radio call that they made to announce the emergency? What did they do from there? Did we leave any guests dangling around the elephants? How did the elephant staff react to try to recover it? Did my incident command teams go to the correct incident command center to try to resolve it? But we try to make it as fun as possible so that people buy into it and so that people have a good time with it so that they 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 actually participate, to be honest with you. We even went so far as I do a trivia at the end of each drill. And we do trivia questions and departments answer the trivia questions and the winning team is a drill champion and they get a big trophy and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, I think that helps. And those are the things that people typically want to hear about whenever they hear, hey, you do safety at the zoo. It's sort of those kind of fun, flashy details about it. Yeah. No, that's great. It sounds like if you make it fun, you involve the employees, you give good feedback, give rewards. It just makes it a more enjoyable process and people want to participate. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Well, what's one thing that you've learned either from your current role here or at any point in your career that might be helpful to other safety and security professionals? I think the biggest thing that I have learned is you have to be part of the team. You can't come in and be an outsider and have them accept you. So me personally, I believe firmly in is if you're starting a new role at an organization as a safety professional, get in and work with these folks and spend a, spend a day with them, job shadowing them, learning what they do, learning what, what makes their job easy and learning what makes their job hard so that you can really be bought in as a true business partner versus just an outsider coming in and telling them what to do. Because if, if that's the case, it won't ever work. You know, and the, the flip side of that is, is safety training classes. You got to keep it fun. Nobody wants to go to a safety training class and just get preached to for an hour about <laughs> fall harnesses or forklift safety. You got to tell the stories. You got to get them entertained. You got to let them know that you do know what you're talking about. And that's my biggest thing. Whenever I go in and tell, you know, do training classes, I tell them how I've messed up in the past mm. and I tell them what I've done so that they know that I'm part of what they're doing. And I've been in this, this area and I tell them all my stupid mistakes so that they know Hey guys, I've been here too. And I've been in your shoes and let me tell you how I fixed it. And this is what I learned. And maybe that will help them learn. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then the other thing that I will say at the zoo is, is I am very, very grateful for our executive team and our leadership team here at the zoo, because it really truly does come from a top-down situation here. Everybody always talks about that. It has to start at the top. And here it does. I've worked at organizations where you go to the top and you say, we need to do this or we have this happening. And they're like, okay, well, we'll fix it next year. It's not like that here. If I go to the top and I say, we have this problem going on, then let's get it fixed and let's see what we need to do. And I think our staff knows that. And I think our staff realizes that they, they're cared about. And once, once they feel cared about, then it impacts how they do their day-to-day -day job. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And I think it helps when you go to ask for things at the executive level, you can punctuate every request with, and if we don't, there might be a tiger roaming the streets. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that always helps. <laughs> I'm sure all of our listeners wish they could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll come work at the zoo and maybe you can. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or get a tiger. I don't know. No, yeah, don't do well, that. <laughs> well, let's not do that. 
<laughs> well, Diana, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was a, a really fun interview, and I'm so glad you could take the time to join us. Sure, I appreciate it. I enjoyed talking to you as well. Good deal. Well, if anyone would like to know more about the Dallas Zoo or start a professional conversation with you, how can they do that? Sure, they can go to our website, which is dallaszoo.com, or any of our social media pages. Uh, we post all of our pertinent information on there, and they can look at all of that information. If they're ever interested in you know, coming to work at the zoo, all of our career pages are updated on our website, so they're more than welcome to go take a look there. We've got a really, really cool opportunities opening up all the time out here. Excellent. Well, thanks again to Diana and all of our listeners for joining us on the Employee Safety Podcast. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to subscribe to future episodes at Alert Media's website or on your favorite podcast player. We'd also truly appreciate you giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a safe week, everyone. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.